So I, I had a wonderful week off, uh, very much needed, and uh, we loved it. We uh, went to uh, a number of the provincial parks, and Wendy and I went for uh, walks, and we uh, ended up, uh, you know, um, in in locations that we'd never been. It was absolutely beautiful, and it really uh, restored my soul. And so, if if you know, for lots of us. Uh, we haven't had a vacation. Um, I would encourage you not to wait until things maybe open up because we don't know when that happens, uh, but to uh, really make make the most of, of what we have now um, because it really restored my soul. And in, in, our, um, in our group, the way that started a couple of weeks ago, we've, we've, we've just been learning about how important it is that we have Sabbath and that we rest. And I'm, I'm truly, uh, really grateful for, for this week of Sabbath and this week of rest. And I'm ready to uh, hit the ground running. Uh, so I think we've all felt powerless at some point or maybe another. When, whether it's being, being placed on hold whilst trying to return an item that we bought online, or when we watch a loved one go, go through a very rough season. Maybe it's watching our children make choices that we know aren't going to end up in a good place, or maybe it's waiting for curbside pickup or for your COVID vaccination and your 5,743 in the queue. Maybe it's losing someone you love. We've all felt powerless at some point. Now, um, I remember when I was a childhood, when, when I was a child, my older brother Chris, uh, who was uh, 15 months older than me, um, he used to pin me down with his knees and he used to pretend to spit in my face as we wrestled. And at that moment when his spit was hanging probably an, an, inch, an inch over my face, I felt really powerless. And then I also remember standing on the Logos 2 on the ship that I joined in 2001, uh, staring out at 200 people that I would be um, living with for the next two years and being physically unable to say my name because of my stutter. I felt absolutely powerless. Last week, um, Dr. Steve Elliott um, showed us that we have the right and the permission to lament And I think in these moments of powerlessness, lament is sometimes the only thing that we can do. When our hearts are broken and we feel like nothing's, nothing will really change. Uh, in these times, it's, it's absolutely vital that we're honest with the Lord, that we're honest in confession, that we're honest in our emotions, that we bring our real selves to him and that we pour out our hearts before him. So over these past few weeks as we've looked at prayer, I hope that we've been learning that prayer is so much more than, simp- than simply twisting God's arm so that he can see things are, from our perspective um, so that he can say yes to our requests. I hope we're realizing that prayer is more than that. So friends, here is my conviction. Um, even in the midst of lament, and loss, and powerlessness. Prayer is the thing that keeps us from hopelessness. One more time, when faced with loss and with powerlessness, prayer is what keeps us from hopelessness. You know, you think of the, of the African slaves uh, working in America. 
I can't think of a more powerless situation than being enslaved and working for someone whilst being misused and abused with no hope of freedom or respite. But during that time, when faced with their own powerlessness, in the worst of all circumstances, many slaves prayed as they sang, and they, songs, and they sang songs like this, Nobody knows the trouble I'm in. Nobody but Jesus. In the midst of their circumstances, they prayed, and they sang this. <laughs> they sang, He delivered Daniel from the lion's den, and Jonah from the belly of the whale, and the Hebrew children from the fiery fiery furnace and why not every man in the midst of their circumstance in the midst of their hardship they they worshiped and they prayed and so prayer through song was was the one action that the slaves could take in the midst of a powerless situation and friends uh if 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 this was um sufficient for them to speak hope into the midst of their hopeless situation uh, there on the, on the American plantations, then it's good enough for you in your situation right now. And it's good enough for me in my situation when faced with loss and with powerlessness, prayer keeps us from hopelessness. And then we look back and we see Paul and Silas who were imprisoned in Acts chapter 16. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When, when he had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Friends, Paul and Silas weren't praying and singing because they wanted to put a good spin on a bad situation. They weren't praying as a way of escaping the reality of the situation. They were praying and singing because they knew the reality of the situation that they were in. It was hopeless. They prayed and they sang because they had no other choice. And this act of prayer in the face of powerlessness kept them from hopelessness. And so these last two weeks of this series, this week and next week, um, we will be looking at prayer as, prayer as action. Prayer as action because when we start praying, even in the midst of the most hopeless situations, God meets us in that place. His Spirit gives us endurance. Yes, sometimes He does rescue us from the situation, but not always. But what He always does is He gives us the power and the ability to endure and to persevere as we pray to him. The Israelites were, were being attacked by a three-nation army in Second Chronicles chapter 20. The situation was hopeless, but their response when the odds seemed insurmountable is instructive to us because here was their prayer. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. Verse 11, see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know 
what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, this 13-word prayer should be one that we all memorize. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Friends, prayer is prayer is God working and us working at the same time. Prayer is synergy. We work with God. Now, we, we aren't equal partners. God is the major partner, and we're the little partner. It's like a big brother and a little brother. You know, the little brother's having a hard time at school. He can do nothing, but what he can do is he can tell his big brother, and then the big strong brother comes along, and he cares about what the little brother cares about, and he can do something about it. Synergy. Now, now the word synergy is from this Greek uh, word sun and the Greek word, word ergon. And sun means, uh, and so when you put sun and, and ergon together, you have this word synergy, working together, literally working together. And that's what happens when we pray. We pray in faith, that is our action. And God answers in faithfulness, that is God's action, synergy. Now this morning we will be looking at at God's part in the synergy of prayer, at how prayer invites God's action. Next week, we will look at how prayer is, is our action. But this, this morning, our main thought is this, that prayer invites God's action. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. But first, let's look at two things that we are powerless to change. Because if we don't realize our powerlessness, then we'll never ask God to get involved. So, here are two things that we are powerless to change. Powerless in and of ourselves. First, we are powerless to change anything in here. And secondly, we're powerless to change anything out there. And that sort of sums up all of life, right? We're powerless to change anything in here, and we're powerless to change anything in here, out there. But the first thing is that we're powerless to change anything in here, in our hearts meaning that we cannot change our hearts or, or we cannot change other people's hearts. We can't. We can't force ourselves or force others to change solely through strength of will. We aren't able to do that. I, I, I mean, just look at your own life. How many times have you promised yourself that you would never do that thing again and then you go ahead and you do it? Or maybe how many times have you promised yourself that you would change your way of life, and then you find yourself stuck in your old way of life, in your old, in your, in your old habits. That's me. Me to a T. Right? So when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to eradicating sin, if we're trying to change anything in our own human nature by our own effort, it's a waste of time. We want to pray more. We want to sin less. We want to exercise more. We want to be kinder. We want to be more generous. We want to watch less TV, etc., 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 and we keep on failing. Why is this? Because without God's resurrection, life-altering power, we can do nothing. We are powerless to change anything in here. And the prophet Elijah knew that. The 
nation of Israel was, was at a crossroads. They weren't sure whether to, fo- whether to follow Baal or whether to follow Yahweh. And the prophet Elijah knew that he could not change people's hearts. And so we read this in 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, it says, Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. The people said nothing. They were silent. They said nothing. Maybe their hearts were hard or maybe they were so, so torn between these rival gods in their lives that they were stuck and they couldn't say anything because they had no answer. And that's absolutely true of us, right? Is that when we have these rival gods in our lives, these two rival principles at work, we become stuck and we can say nothing. And the prophet Elijah knew this. He knew that he could not convince them, you know, to follow God or to choose God. He was absolutely powerless. But there was one thing that he could do in the midst of that powerlessness that could rescue him from hopelessness. And that was that he could pray And in response to the prayer, he could act in obedience. So he is Yahweh's representative. And the prophets of Baal set up two two rival altars. One here and one there. And, and And the challenge was, whichever altar lit on fire, without human involvement, was the true God. And so is the prophet Elijah. And he soaks his in water because he wants, he wants the people to know beyond shadow of a doubt that God is God. And so he sets the bar of proof high. Now me, if it was me, I probably would have helped God along with a bit of lighter fluid, but not Elijah. You know, you have to remember that he's facing a nation who are silent, who are saying nothing, who are rebellious, and they're torn, and they're not sure. And he's facing an army of 400 false prophets who are going crazy with knives and all sorts of stuff. He's facing a literal trial by fire. And so, what does he do? What's his, his response? Maybe he preaches a sermon like I am now, one that pulls at the heartstrings. Or maybe he creates a meme or a TikTok video, you know, you know, just to get people thinking. Or maybe he exegetes scripture very well. Or maybe he talks to the leaders of Israel, hoping to get them to rethink, and then, then their rethinking would maybe trickle down into the general population. Maybe he does that. But he doesn't. Why? Because he's absolutely powerless. There's nothing he can do. He knows that when, he, when it comes to issues of the heart, internal issues in here, he can do nothing. He's powerless. And so he prays. And this is his prayer from 1 Kings 18 verse 36. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel, that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. He knew that he could not change people's hearts. He knew that the only one who could do this was God himself. And and in expressing his own powerlessness through prayer, he accessed the greatest power in the universe. And that's and that's what, what, what prayer does, friends. It opens the door into God's power. 
And so how does this particular moment on Mount Carmel, this episode in Israel's story, end? Well, it says in verse 39 of 1 Kings 18, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. When that fire fell, they fell. They went from, from indecision, from rebelliousness, from, uh, from split hearts, from saying nothing to crying out on their faces, the Lord, he is God. And what was the change agent? Well, it was this humble prayer from the prophet Elijah. Answer me, Lord. Answer me that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. That's another prayer that's worth memorizing. When we're powerless to change anything in here, in the matter of the heart, whether it's a person, yourself, or a nation, we pray, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And when we're powerless to change anything out there, what do we do? We pray. We pray. We pray. And so we look at Israel and Gaza right now, and we look at Mali, and we look at Myanmar, and we look at North, North Korea, and we look at the, the Uyghur Muslims in China, and we look at these big global things, and we feel absolutely powerless. We feel totally powerless. What can we do? And so we most often, myself included, we do nothing. And we see a similar situation in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Verse 1 says this. Uh, in, in the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. When this vision came to me, so it's gone from third person to now first person. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. At that time, I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I knew, used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. He was probably a pretty smelly person after those three weeks. But he was in mourning. He was in grief over the situation that, that, that was happening over in Jerusalem. And this situation was that uh, just a couple of years ago, a team of people had returned from exile, so from Persia, and they'd, and they'd returned to their home country. They'd returned to their home city with the purpose of rebuilding. But because of strong opposition, the work had, had stopped. And so Daniel hears about this, and he's over in Persia, which is over 2,000 kilometers away, meaning that if he's here and this is happening here, there is nothing that he can do. He feels powerless. He cannot change the circumstances out there. There was nothing that he could do except pray, and so he prayed. And then after three weeks of praying and fasting, an angel shows up while Daniel is on the bank of the Tigris River in Persia, and he's so overcome by this otherworldly creature that he faints. Remember that he's not eaten for three weeks. And while he's lying there in a faint, lying face down on the ground, this is what happens. Verse 10. says, just then, hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling, 
to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since, since the first day, you, you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, okay, that's, that's, that's the time that he was fasting and praying, right? But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. And then in verse 20, a few verses later, soon, this is the angel speaking, soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, and after, and after that, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. What, like, how is that linked with our prayers? Well, simply this, because the angel came in response to Daniel's prayer, right? No, this is how it worked. I'll uh, use, use my, my little men here to explain. Uh, now, these are the only figures I, you know, I was able to find, and so I don't want um, I don't want you to think that I don't respect angels and things because I'm using little, you know, little figures to represent them. But, but what happened is that, is, that, is that Daniel prayed, and an angel came in response to Daniel's prayer, right? That's that's you know, you know that's clear. So God says says to this angel, I've 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 heard Daniel's prayer. Now you should go. You should hustle. You need to go. The, these are your marching orders. You need to go to where Daniel is because he's prayed. And so what this shows us, friends, is that is that when we pray, even with events happening two thousand kilometers away, that God hears your prayer, and God allocates His resources according to your prayer. And then the angel says this in verse 12. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard. So it was heard right at the start of the three weeks. I have come in answer to your prayer. Isn't that incredible? And so when we're powerless to change anything out there, we pray. We pray for Syria and we pray for Iran and we pray for our family overseas and we pray for Ethiopia and we pray for the Holy Land and we pray for missionaries and we pray against human trafficking and we pray, and we pray for India and we pray for the coronavirus. We pray, we pray, and we pray. Now, Satan's lie is that he will say to us, your prayers don't make any difference. So you may as well save your energy and just keep silent. But friends, your, pre your, your prayers do make a difference. And Daniel chapter 10 shows us that. But what this prayer also shows us is something else. Verse 13, I've come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here. Okay, so, like I said, he's a regular human being in prayer. And then the angel is sent as an answer to that prayer. But while the angel is on his way, the angel is stopped by a spirit prince. 
he's hindered, he's ambushed while he's on the way, and he's not able to get past. And this, and this angel struggles against this evil spirit, this lieutenant or whatever in Satan's army. And there's a skirmish and there's a fight and it goes on. And, and this angel isn't making any headway. But then in verse 13, the angel says then, Michael, one of the archangels, he, he came to help me. And so I left him there with the spirit of Persia, with the prince of Persia, and I came to you with this message. So Michael comes along, and this angel, he tags Michael in, and Michael carries on the fight, and this angel is now freed up. And then, and then later on we learn that this angel is going back to help Michael, because what we hear is that it's not just the spirit of Persia that's there, but the spirit prince of, of Greece is all also on his way. So this, so this fight is ramping up. Friends, when you pray for things out there, you are, you are putting things into motion. Prayers are not just nice thoughts. No, your prayers become marching orders for God's angels. Your prayers reach God and then he sends his angels in response to your prayers. And, and Satan is so afraid of the power of your prayers that he will literally release his spiritual armed forces to stop your prayers from being answered. And so we should take 1 John 5 you know, to heart. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, we know that we have what we asked of him. So friends, when we're powerless to change anything out there, we pray. And when we pray, God acts. And when God acts, Satan counterattacks. Why? Because Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 is true. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that's true. And Ephesians 6 verse 18 is also true. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Uh, you know, this really covers everything, right? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of, uh, 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 of prayers and requests. It's, it's not always the same prayer. We can mix it up. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Why? Because when we pray... God gives angels marching orders. And so this morning, are you feeling powerless? Are you feeling powerless to change anything in here? As you look at your life, as you look at your family's life, as you look at your neighbor's lives, at the lives of people in your community, have, uh, do you feel powerless? Is the sin too entrenched? Are the habits too ingrained? Has the dysfunction been going on for too long? Then pray Pray the words of Elijah, answer me, Lord, answer me, that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are drawing their hearts back again. Are you feeling powerless to change anything in here? Then pray. 
And what about the, out there? You look at the human rights violations and the injustice and the way of life, and, 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 and that life seems so expendable, whether it's in the womb or in the old people's homes. You, you watch people walk away from faith seemingly in their droves, and you look at what's happening thousands of kilometers away, and you read the news headlines, and your heart sinks, and you think that there's nothing that you are able to do except pray. And know that your prayer that is offered in faith that aligns with the will of God could well start a knock-on series of events in the spiritual realm involving angels and messengers and evil powers and, and, and ambushes and, and skirmishes and victory, all because of the prayer offered up in faith. So what is it in here or out there that you feel powerless to change? Maybe now, let's just have a moment to, to, to think in silence of that one thing. Maybe it's a name. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a location. Maybe it's you. And just in the quietness of this moment, whisper or mouth that word as a prayer. That thing that you feel hopeless about. Let's just mouth this situation, this name, this word as a prayer. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. Many of us misunderstand prayer. We, we think that it's something that we say to someone on social media when we don't know what to say. Thoughts and prayers, no. When we say thoughts and prayers, I actually think that many of us are mentally checking out of that situation. We say it, we write it, and then we move on. But what if we actually prayed? What if we actually believed that the words that we verbalize in prayer had power and were having real-time, real-world, real-life impact in the life of the person that we're praying for and the situation that we're praying into? What if we actually believed that that when we prayed, God would either rescue them from that situation or give them the endurance to see them through that situation? What if, we, what if we believed that when we prayed, our prayers became marching orders of angelic beings? You know, we often think of prayer as something that we do when we run out of options, like, like, a, like a Hail Mary pass in American football. And so, and so we throw that prayer in the air and we go, well, there's nothing else I can do. It's in my last ditch effort. Here goes nothing. Friends, God never intended prayer to be the option that we turn to after we've tried to fix the situation ourselves. If that was the case, then, then, then that nation, that three-nation army, if, if first Israel tried to face that three-nation army and then they prayed, well, there would have been no one left to pray afterwards. And so they knew that they had to pray first. Lord, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. So, so friends, prayer isn't the absence of action. Prayer is the action. Prayer isn't what we do instead of hard work. Prayer is the hard work. Friends, prayer is not doing nothing. Prayer is often the only thing that we can do and the only thing that we should do, and the only thing that we must do. And so when we can't change anything in here, we pray. And when we can't change anything out there, we pray, because prayer invites God's action.